are listening to The Dish, the Medical Laboratory Professional Association of Ontario's monthly podcast series. I'm Danika Evering. Each month, we discuss important issues to the medical laboratory profession within the province with someone working in the field who shares their insights, perspectives, ideas, and hot takes about that issue. This season, we're focusing on an issue which impacts all of us here in Ontario, an impending medical laboratory staffing crisis. Earlier this year, we learned that the healthcare professionals who staff Ontario's medical laboratories are set to see a large cohort retire in the next four to eight years, representing 44% of all laboratory staff. Some laboratories across the province are already feeling the pressure of this shortage. The absence of this workforce has the potential to cost the province millions of dollars in lengthening hospital stays and increasing wait times, while adding an additional barrier in accessing vital services, particularly for those living in rural and remote communities. Over the course of this season, we'll be taking a deep dive. We'll hear from small laboratories in remote areas, lab managers preparing for shifting workforces, advocacy groups approaching the province to address the crisis, MLTs and MLATs working on the ground, and many more stories from the front lines of the shortage. October's Dish is with Manda Rivers, Laboratory Services Manager at Sioux Area Hospital, and Betty Curry, their Technical Supervisor. We spoke with them about the impacts of the shortages for the Sioux and some of the specific recruitment concerns for Northern Ontario. I've been at Suaria Hospital for a little over two years. Um, I'm the laboratory manager, and I'm also the regional co-lead for our um, HIS upgrade that we are doing with Suaria Hospital, West Prairie Sound, and North Bay for our HIS upgrade. And, And things are ramping up right now. We're ready to go live here in a month, so things are getting pretty crazy and hectic at the lab. Hi, I'm Betty, and I've been working in the lab since February of 1974. I, I graduated in 74 in June, and I've been an MLT here at the hospital ever since. I moved into the supervisor role in 2010, and I'm kind of Amanda's backup at the moment, helping her figure out things because she's new here relatively. You kind of have a, a learning relationship. Yep, and Betty is a huge asset to us, and I, I appreciate that she's postponed her retirement to support me in my crazy, busy, hectic life. Can you start by sharing a little bit about the work your lab does? So we have a full service lab. We perform the chemistry, hematology, pathology, um, cyto, histo, transfusion medicine, and then we are a regional forensics lab as well. Um, We also have microbiology. We um, service outpatients on a very minimal basis, and we do have a fairly robust point-of-care program because just last year we started with our our cardiac cath lab, so we've got a couple of uh, of point-of-care units in that lab, and then, of course, we have our glucometers and and a couple of uh, Clinitech Atlas that are in our MAD-OB department and in our, our emergency department. Interesting that you also have a forensics lab. Yes, we have, we're one of the six in the province. So we, um, 
tend to be fairly busy at times with with that. Um, it kind of goes in spurts, but we do a fair bit of, of forensic autopsies here. Sounds like a wide range of, of things to cover. Yeah, because we are in such a remote area. I shouldn't say remote, but we are a fair distance away from, from a lot of major cities. So we kind of are a pretty good standalone lab that can support ourselves in, in many, um, many aspects. Mm-hmm. Like we're doing just about 3 million lab procedures a year. So we, we are pretty, we are pretty busy. Yep. That's an incredible number. Given that, given how much you're doing and how many things you need to cover, when did you first learn that that shortage was coming and how did you notice it in the lab? So I think that Suaria is a kind of a, a dynamic situation in that we went from having the plumber hospital and the general hospital. We had two separate hospitals that merged to become one. And so we had a lot of staff at each of those sites that were, you know, all similar ages. So when I began here in, in 2017, shortly after that, we started having retirements, and we've really been not able to recruit to those positions. We've had a full-time senior technologist that's uh, been vacant for almost 12 months. Mm-hmm. And this year, because we don't have any students with us through, through our college, we're going to have even more of a challenge because we did really rely on on recruiting some of our student placements. So it's tough. It's it's very difficult to, to get people to come here. Yeah. But Betty can probably speak to it more over the years. Like I said, I've only been here for two years and, and I can see the struggles and challenges. Well, and I think back in 2010 when I took over this position, even it was interim at the time, I could have retired at that point in time. I was just still here working. And a lot of the techs tend to do that. I know we were told about 30% of our workforce in the lab alone could retire at any point in time, and it hasn't really changed. They did start to retire a little bit, but we're not seeing a big move yet. But even a little bit is, is a bit more than what we're able to fill. Recruiting for Manda was... Um, very difficult. I was on the fringes of that, but we were without a manager for a, a fair time, um, and the recruitment was very difficult to, to find the right fit for here. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad we found her, but um, she's going to be faced with the finding me soon, too. Right. And no one here is willing to step out of their comfort level with union to step into this role. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more about that? They feel that because they have union seniority, they don't want to lose that and step into a management role where I think they see is people are let go and and we're not really aware of the reasons why, because that part of it is confidential. Mm -hmm. So they just pick up a story and, and run with it. Amanda, you mentioned a little bit about the not having students this year. Did a college close recently there? No, we just, we, we are affiliated with Cambrian College and right. they, there was no students to come here this year. Right. So that's a huge downfall for us because like I said, over the past few years, we've managed to be able to recruit at least one or two of our, our student placements and this year we have nothing to tap into in that regard. Sault Ste. Marie isn't necessarily small. 
Your city has a population of 73,000 and the Sioux Area Hospital serves a catchment of over 115,000. But your distance from Southern Ontario might make the recruitment situation pretty specific. What are some of the challenges or concerns that you have about recruiting in Northern Ontario? Well, I think that Northern communities aren't promoted as an attractive place to live. Mm -hmm. I think that young people want the hustle and bustle of the city. I do think that young people don't realize how great the North is. I mean, there's activities to do all year long. We have no commutes, so to speak of. We have definitely less traffic. Like if you live five miles from the hospital, it's not going to take you three hours to get here. It's going to take you like 10 minutes to get here. You know, cost of living is much lower in the North than that of the, the GTA. But people don't really realize that. I think that it takes a special group of people to want to live in the Great White North, so to speak. And we're not that North, but that's what the impression is when people talk about Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah, I mean, to me, Sault Ste. Marie is, is a haven if you want to live in a Northern community in that we've got the airport in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, so you can hop on a plane and fly to Toronto. Or we've got the airport in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, that if you don't want to deal with customs at the airport and you want to go to Florida or California, something like that, you can hop the border, deal with customs here, and you're on a plane to Detroit in, in next to no time at all as well. So, I mean, it's, the Sioux is really a, a goldmine for, for people, but they just look at it as a, an area that's winter 10 months of the year, and that's about it. You hit on a really interesting point. I think there is a perception that it's cold or remote, but then there's also the the fact that people just don't know what it's like at all. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Because, I mean, I've been meeting with um, new physicians that we've been recruiting at Suaria, and, and you would be surprised the number of them that don't really realize how easy it is to, to do some of the, the activities and things that, that are available. And we are gold mines. Mm-hmm. So then a certain promotions effort might help a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So given all of this, what have some of the impacts been for the shortages in your lab? We've been hearing different kind of stories from across Ontario, but what has, how has that played out for you guys in your lab? Well, I mean, right now, our part-time employees are working full-time plus hours. We're finding that staff are just getting tired that, you know, we have several staff members who are uh, casual, who have retired and decided to come back casual. Mm-hmm. And we have um, some six-pack agreements. We have a, a document in our collective agreement that an employee can come back and just agree to be a six-pack, so to speak, where you'll get six shifts in a pay period. And, and we've got people that are, are strictly wanting to stick to that six-pack agreement. Our casual staff are, are almost working full-time as well. Like, staff just aren't really wanting the overtime anymore. It's it's unfortunate. We had a, a sick call just today that we could not fill, that no one would accept a, a shift, even at premiums. You can see that it's wearing on staff, you know, and, and you'd hate to, to look at having to potentially cut some of the services that we offer in our lab just so that we can manage to run a, an acute care stat lab, so to speak, like, I don't even want to have to look at something like that. Right. Can you talk a little bit about what the concern is if the shortages continue? 
that would be probably the first thing that we would have to look at. Like what, what could be cut? What area in the lab could we cut so that we could shift some of those staff members to work other areas? But I really hate to think that we would get to that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, we've also had a difficult time staffing. Um, we've had two staff pulled to work on the expanse project. And it's been very difficult to backfill them in the lab. And we've had to pull them from the project to work like nights on a weekend, for instance, when there's just no one else that we can schedule in there, which then puts the project at risk. So I, I know we're going to still have to upstaff and backfill those people, but I'm not really sure how we're going to manage it without getting into consecutive weekend issues and, and lots of premium payments and just flatly saying, no, I'm not doing it anymore. One yeah. of our cows leaving at the end of October and, and uh, I'm not quite sure how we're going to manage the micro department with her gone. Right. Well, it sounds like a lot of the casual staff are kind of semi-retired. So then if they choose to fully retire, then that might make the situation more intense. All of our casual staff are retired individuals who had agreed yeah. to come back just on a casual basis. We're very dependent on them at the moment, and that's not a good place. No. In learning about the shortage through our research and our conversations with labs across Ontario, the MLPAO has realized that there are many moving parts that need to shift in order to avert a health human resource crisis. We recognize the issue is large and we all need to contribute to deal with it. But we asked Amanda and Betty if they could pinpoint one thing that would make a difference for their work on the front lines. Well, I have to say that I'm very impressed with the work that Michelle is doing so far. I think getting the provincial government involved in your member of parliament, that sort of thing, so that they're aware of the situation. I attended the think tank program there, the symposium in, in March, and there was a lot of discussion about uh, changing the curriculum of the program or the structure of the, the program. I think that that would be huge. I wonder if there's actually a, an MLT student out there this year that was with another college that didn't get a place that, that could have tapped into us to come, you know, because I'm hearing that there are students in the programs that aren't getting placement. So I'm wondering if there's a student that was affiliated with another college that perhaps needed a place to, to finish their or do their placement this year that we didn't get. Mm -hmm. um, and I would hate to think that that would be the case for anybody that I, mm -hmm. I would hope that we could, you know, work with, with us, the colleges collectively in the province instead of just saying that, okay, we're affiliated with Cambrian and we can't take anyone from another college. Like I would like less barriers in that regard so that we're not limited to where or what students we can take. Yeah, for sure. Well, and also to your point of, people not really knowing what life is like there, having someone come to work there for a clinical placement would allow them to kind of experience it in a way, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we are working with our local high schools for like co-op programs. Any student that has reached out to myself or Betty, we try and, and get them in, if not for an extended period of time, at least for them to get exposure to the lab and come in for you know, a week and just see what we do, see if it sparks their interest. And, and typically it's, it's an employee of the hospital will call and say, I'm a nurse in this unit or I work in housekeeping. My child's interested in a, a career in the laboratory. Would there be any possibility of doing a job shadow? I never turn anybody down because I do think that, 
lab professionals are really behind the scenes and no one knows what we actually do. Like you, you see those fancy, funny memes on Facebook of what <laughs> think I do, what, what this one thinks I do, and then what I actually do. Like I, I really think that no one really realizes what we do in the lab. So if, if we can do anything to promote some young people exposure to our area of expertise, then our door is always open at Area Hospital. Yeah, I think you're right that that very long-term engagement with high school students even allows for uh, support of the field in the future. Absolutely. The medical lab assistant program and how difficult it is for us to recruit those professionals as well. I mean, they're mm. not part of the registration part yet, but it is very difficult to get them to find good ones here. I get a lot of asks from MLAPs who have just uh, graduated and they're like, where are the jobs? And we always direct them to look in Northern Ontario. Oh, yes, please direct yeah. anybody to look in our, in our direction. We have a, a big group of phlebotomists who work at our Life Lab Center here and a couple here who would definitely be interested in that program. Their only problem is they don't want to give up their work here to be able to go away for eight months to take a course. Um, and yet they have no other way to do it. We have two really good ones right now would be awesome MLAs. Mm -hmm. But to give up that work for eight months is um, a bit over the top for us. Right. And 15 years of on-the-job training is what one of them has. For quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So some sort of program maybe that they could do distance learning or who knows, right? Yeah. Because yep. we can certainly provide all the hands-on. Absolutely. Got it all here. <laughs> You've been listening to The Dish, the MLPAO's monthly podcast series discussing key issues within the medical laboratory profession in Ontario. This episode was produced and edited by myself and Lauren Hicks in our studio overlooking the Niagara Escarpment and recorded in the free makerspace at the Terry Berry branch of the Hamilton Public Library. The next episode of The Dish will be out next month. The Dish is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.